Amen, amen. And I'm so glad to see you here today as uh, we continue to worship and contemplate, consider and study the, the one who was born, not just the king of Israel as promised, but the one who was born to be your king and mine. Uh, that's what we're, we're studying during this month, and we started this series last week. Uh, as we're zeroing in on the gifts that truly were fit for a king, and we're focusing in on, on what those specific gifts that the wise men brought communicate about Jesus, what they tell us about him, and about his purpose, why he came, and, and some of his roles as Messiah, uh, what that actually looked like. And those gifts, they picture for us so much about Jesus, about who he is, and about what we should uh, focus on as we think about him, especially this month this Christmas season. So uh, last week we talked about the first gift that they brought, which was gold. Certainly that's a kingly gift. And we talked about the fact that especially in that day, gold was the best thing you could offer. I mean, that was, that was top. It was, it was prime. And uh, they recognized that this, this child, he wasn't a baby at the point when the wise men came and brought their gifts, but this child, this toddler, was not just any ordinary person, and he wasn't even an ordinary king. He was, they recognized, and we all need to recognize, he was a divine king. He was then and throughout his life and always will be the God-man. And they recognized that and they celebrated that and they brought the gifts and opened up their treasures and the first one was gold. And our, our key emphasis last week was the fact that when Jesus, who was the eternal Word, the Word of the Father, When the Word became flesh, He did not stop being the King over all the universe. And He hasn't stopped now. He's still reigning and ruling over all the universe. And what an encouraging thought that is, right? In the midst of a world that has truly just gone mad everywhere you look, there's there's chaos instead of order, there's uncertainty everywhere, to know that there is King Jesus reigning and ruling should fill us with great encouragement and hope. And so we're going to continue on this week in this series and and in this line of thinking. And our key verse for this series, for each of the messages that we we look at each week, is Matthew 2.11. And uh, that says, Entering the house, they, speaking of the wise men, saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him, recognizing not just his royalty, but again, his divinity. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, talked about that last week, frankincense, that's this week's focus, and myrrh, which we'll conclude by looking at next week. Um, and gold, we certainly understand, you know, okay, he's, he's born a king, gold, that's fitting. These other two gifts, on the surface, just at first glance, they seem a little odd, you know, they seem kind of like um, maybe some unlikely gifts to bring to a, a child. I mean, frankincense, myrrh. Um, you have no doubt either been at a Christmas play or you've seen the portrayal of one on a movie where uh, especially frankincense just gets totally butchered, you know, and they announce the gifts or, or they say what they're bringing and they, they say, I'm bringing Frankenstein. Or maybe they'll say, I'm bringing Frankie's sense. Like it's a brand new aftershave or something. Uh, and and it's, it's hard to say and maybe a little bit confusing just on the surface as to why they brought this gift of all the different gifts they could have added to the gold. Why, 
Why frankincense? Why myrrh? Well, specifically talking about the gift of frankincense, as we're going to be focusing in our time here together this morning, um, that points very specifically, very clearly, to the fact that in Jesus' coming, in Him being the Messiah, He was going to be our great high priest. So this gift of frankincense, and frankincense in general, especially at this time, this context, it emphasized priestly service. And so in the wise men bringing this gift, whether they knew it or not, uh, they don't it doesn't have to be that they knew what they were uh, doing completely. It doesn't, doesn't have to be that they had it all figured out. Um, you know, that they very carefully thought about all the aspects and dimensions of their gifts. I mean, maybe, maybe they did. Maybe God, uh, by the Spirit, revealed that to them. I don't know. Uh, but, but even if they didn't and they brought what they were viewing as ordinary gifts that they would have brought to any dignitary or, or royal person, the point is very clear that they picture for us very, very deep truths and realities about Jesus and about what He was going to do during His earthly ministry, what He was going to be in being our Messiah. He's King, but He's also our great High Priest. And so the gift of frankincense points to that, and it pictures Christ's high priestly service. That's something we don't always or maybe even often think about at Christmas time. The fact that in Jesus' coming, it wasn't just coming as king, there was more to it. Um, When the Father sent Jesus, His only Son, He didn't just give us the Savior we needed. He did. He did that. But He didn't just give us the Savior that we needed. He gave us the priest we needed as well. And that is a glorious thought, that God the Father, in giving us God the Son, gave us everything we could ever need, all wrapped up in the gift of His Son, Jesus. So He didn't just give us the Savior we needed, He gave us the priest that we needed as well. And throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus absolutely functioned as the great high priest. And when we think of priest, we hear that word in our, in our context today, you probably think of the person dressed in all black with a little white collar, right, uh, that sits behind a booth and waits for people to come in and confess all the sins they've done and ask for forgiveness. Uh, that, unfortunately, is, is probably the the main thing that pops into your mind when you hear priest. Or you might think of the, the people in the long robes um, performing the sacrifices like in the Old Testament. And certainly when Jesus came, uh, it was the old covenant priesthood that He came into and came under. But we need to understand something. Jesus was the fulfillment of all that Old Testament, Old Covenant priestly picture. All the, all the priests, starting with Aaron and on through the history of Israel, they, they performed the, the priestly duties as they should, and, and they performed the sacrifice. They petitioned God on behalf of the people. They prayed for the people of Israel. They were the intermediary between the people of Israel and God. And they did all that. But everything they did 
pointed ahead, looked ahead and pictured the coming of the one great high priest that would fulfill all those other priests, all the priestly work, and cause there to be no more need of any other sacrifice. He, he completely, he just brought all of that to, to this sense of finality where in him everything was met. All the demands of the law, all the demands of God, all that sacrificial system was finished. He was the great high priest. And he, he functioned in this role throughout his ministry. It wasn't just what he did at the cross. It was his ongoing work uh, during that three-and-a-half-year period of his ministry where um, he absolutely lived out what it meant to be a priest and what that looked like. Hebrews 5.7 um, actually talks a little bit about that, and it says this, "...in the days of his flesh..." Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. One of the major roles of a priest was to pray for the people. That's a big part of what they did. And frankincense, and incense in general, was something that was directly tied to that that ministry of prayer. Um, incense was a visual, it was an image of what the prayer was supposed to be. As, as prayers went up to God, uh, the incense kind of represented that, and it pictured that, and it kind of tied it all together. Uh, maybe you've, you've seen, maybe you've been to a, a church service, or certainly you've seen it portrayed in film of, of some sort, where you have priests walking among the people with the censer, and they're, they're waving that back and forth, and smoke's coming out of that. That's an incense burner, and they're, they're waving that censer of incense, and that's symbolizing prayer and worship going up to God. That was something that all the priests did. And so, you start to see the tie-in, right? With frankincense being offered to the one who was the great high priest as he offers up prayer. And we see what, what's, uh, what's true of his ministry from what Hebrews 5-7 says, that that's exactly what he did. That during his earthly ministry, as he walked among the people, as he taught, as he performed miracles, he also gave intercession on behalf of people. He prayed for people. He offered up prayers and petitions, supplications, passionately, loud cries, it says, with tears, to Him who was able to save Him from death. That's also pointing to the fact that in the Garden of Gethsemane, before He went to the cross, where the great high priest was not going to just be the priest, but he was going to offer the sacrifice as any priest would. But this time, the great high priest, Jesus, was not going to just offer a sacrifice. He was going to offer himself as the sacrifice. We're going to talk about that more next week as we wrap up. But that's what that's pointing to as well. So you see two things going on in this, in this little verse here. We see the, the priestly duty and the priestly work and ministry of Jesus offering up prayers and supplications as all the other priests before him would have done. But also we see the, a little bit of a picture of the agony that fell on Jesus as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, Father, 
If it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. That cup was the cup of the, the full cup of the wrath of God the Father, the judgment of God the Father for sin, for all mankind's sin, for your sin, for my sin. And Jesus, the high priest Jesus, knew he was going to to offer sacrifice and that that sacrifice was going to be him and part of what it meant to be the sacrifice, the biggest part of the sacrifice on the cross was that Jesus was going to become sin for us, causing His Father to forsake Him. Also that we would never be forsaken. So that's what that's, that's picturing and pointing to. And you start to see the role, the awesome role and responsibility that Jesus willingly took on as our great high priest. And that's why the gift of frankincense was offered. And I want to just briefly kind of tune your mind to three very specific examples of Christ's earthly priesthood. We won't spend a lot of time on this. I just want to kind of provide this for you so maybe you can think about this on your own and contemplate and maybe even uh, go into kind of your own uh, follow-up Bible study about this because it would be worth it to do that. But there's three very specific examples, and I'm sure it's not limited to this, uh, but three specific examples that, that I really appreciate about Christ's high priestly work that we see on display through the pages of Scripture as He went about His earthly ministry. Uh, and really, these three examples all are centering around the cross. They all come right at that point in his ministry where it's coming to an end and he's going to the cross or he's on the cross. So his high priestly ministry culminated in and around the cross. And the first example that that I want to remind you of in terms of his high priestly work is his great high priestly prayer in John 17. John 17 is one of the most beautiful, powerful, and important passages in all of the Gospels. Because in John 17, we see Jesus actually vividly living out and and applying His, His high priestly work where He prays first for His immediate disciples that are there around Him. Uh, You know, Peter and James and John and the others. He's praying for them that as He goes to the cross and as He leaves them, that God would strengthen them. That God would unify them. That God would use them to further His work and to continue His message. But then He prays for all believers that will ever live in every age that come that comes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus and that believes on him because of the work and ministry of the disciples it's this this wonderful domino effect Jesus prays for his immediate original disciples and he prays that they would be full of strength and full of courage and full of unity. And they'll go out and they'll proclaim the message of Jesus. And then as people all over the world, all through history, start to believe on that message, He prays for them too. That means, Christian, He prayed for you. He prayed for you. Over 2,000 years ago. Before He went to the cross for you, He prayed for you. He knew who would come to Him. 
he knew who would become a disciple of, of him, like the disciples gathered around him right there in that immediate time. And he prayed for our unity. And he prayed for our strength. And he prayed that we would be faithful to proclaim the gospel message, just like the original disciples. So John 17, it's, it's truly the great high priest prayer. And it's, it's awesome. And if you're not familiar with it, or maybe you haven't looked at it in a long time, I encourage you, go back to it. Dig in deep to it. See, see how incredible it is uh, what Jesus did there and what he prayed for you. The, another example of his high priestly work is when he told Peter that he prayed for his protection, his spiritual protection from Satan, and he prayed for his spiritual recovery after his denial. You remember um, how Peter, uh, recorded in the Gospels, was just so adamant, so sure that he would not desert Jesus, that he wouldn't deny him. He said, you know, all these others might leave you, Lord. They might turn their back on you. They might desert and deny you. But me, no, I'm with you to the end. I will never deny you. Jesus, I I, I picture him just kind of shaking his head. He said, Peter, sorry, but it's going to happen. Rooster's going to crow. You're going to deny me. It's going to happen. It's fact. It's a reality. But I want you to know something. Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. I prayed for your protection. And after you are restored, after you return and come back, speaking of his denial, speaking of the devastation of Peter's denial on his own heart, speaking of and, and prophetically pointing ahead to the fact that he knew you're going to deny me. It's going to wreck you. It's going to absolutely devastate you, Peter. You're going to run away. You're going to decide that you can't do this disciple thing after all. You're going to just go back to fishing. But, but here's, the, here's the good news, Peter. That's not, going to be, that's not going to be the end of your story. That's not going to be the end. And you're going to come back. And after you come back, after you return Restore your brothers, he says. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for your protection. I've prayed for your strength. And I've even already prayed. I've interceded for you as your priest that you will be restored. And then once you're restored, use that same restoration and restore the others. And last but certainly not least, incredible Uh, example of the high priestly work and ministry and heart of our Savior Jesus on the cross as he's dying he says something that is astounding he says father forgive them they do not know what they're doing and we see the Savior the sacrifice functioning as the very high priest that his killers needed as they killed him. Amazing. Amazing. High priest Jesus. No other like him. The great high priest. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, there's no question. It's not hypothetical. It's fact. We have 
a great high priest, the greatest high priest, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, our faith, our belief in Jesus. Let's hold fast to it. Hold firm to it. Why? Verse 15 tells us why we should. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way. Every way means everything. It means there's nothing left out of that. All the ways you've been tempted, all the ways I've been tempted, all the ways every single human has been tempted in terms of sinful action, sinful thought, sinful choice, all the temptation, small and great, He has experienced it too. He's walked through it. He's walked where we walk. Who has been tempted in every way as we are, and here's the really important part though, yet without sin. means He experienced that temptation. He experienced the full weight of it, the power of it, every possible temptation that you and I could experience, He experienced, but He wasn't beaten by it. He wasn't defeated by it. He didn't succumb. He didn't give in so that He could be victorious over it. He was victorious over it all. You know why? So that He could then give us His victory. So He can say to you and me when we're struggling under the the crushing weight of temptation, He can say with all sincerity, I understand. I understand. I know how hard this is. I know how heavy this is on you. I get it. I felt it too. I experienced it too. And that's not just lip service. That, that mean, he means it because he did. He experienced and was tempted in every way as we are. But he, he doesn't just stop with, I get it, I understand. It, it's great, isn't it, when, when people can come alongside you in your struggles, in your trials, in your weakness, and they can say, hey, I, man, I understand what you're going through. It's great when they can say that. And you appreciate that, right? You, you, it means a lot to you. But even the best of intentions by having someone say that, as much as they might mean it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really change that much for you. Right? And you're, you're going through a rough time. Let, let's say you are really dealing with temptation. And it's great to have a brother or a sister come alongside you and say, Hey, uh, I, I understand. Uh, you're, you're not in this alone. I get it. I, I've been through that too, and, and I'm here for you. And that's great, and it's, it's good, and it's helpful, but it doesn't necessarily give you in that moment and in that situation the power you need to overcome that struggle or that trial or that hardship. It, it's great to have sympathy, but they don't have the power to do anything about it. Jesus, our great high priest, can say with all sincerity, I understand. But he goes beyond that and he says, and here's the power to overcome it. Here's the ability to to walk through it. Not not just to know that I understand what it's like, but I overcame it. I, I wasn't crushed by that. And I give you my victory if you'll take it and use it. Isn't that great? And that's, that's awesome right there. That's incredible. 
So yet without sin, and that's everything, because he could not have been our perfect substitute, our perfect sacrifice. He would not have been a perfect Savior if that part wasn't true. That he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. On that hangs everything. That's the the perfection of our great high priest. Verse 16, because all that is true, because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, because He passed through the heavens, accepted fully by His Father, work complete, because of all that, verse 16 says this, therefore, all that being true, and because that's reality, let us, you and me, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need, which is all the time. There's never a time where we're not in need of grace and mercy. Do you believe that? Never a time. So what that means is all the time we find and have available what we need. The grace and the mercy of our God. It's always available to us. Not because we're that good. (laughs) No, because we have a great high priest who did everything for us that we could never do for ourselves. And I just want to emphasize that we can come to this throne of grace with boldness. We don't have to come cowering. We don't have to come shaking with fear about being struck down in judgment as we come before this great and mighty throne on which sits our great and mighty God. We don't have to be afraid of that. Um, in, in this time, this, the context that, that this was written and that our Bible was written, in that culture, anyone that came before a king without being summoned first was taking their life in their hands. didn't even matter if they were family. It didn't matter if it was even the queen. Think of uh, the story of Esther. It's a great example of, of what I'm talking about. That in this time period, and particularly in the Middle East culture, if you went into the king, the ruler, without being called for, it was 50-50 about whether you'd come out of there alive. And what everybody was waiting to see was the king extending the scepter. And if he extended that scepter out, he meant, go ahead, come on in, you have an audience with me. If he did not extend the scepter, off with their head. Church, Christians, brothers and sisters, in and through Christ, because He is our great intermediary, our great high priest, because He passed through the heavens, that scepter is permanently extended to you and me. And so we can come with boldness, standing upright, not irreverently, you know, not flippantly, but we can come with confidence before the throne of God, knowing that all the grace and mercy that we need is available to us because of Jesus, our great high priest. Hebrews 7, 23-25 says this, Hebrews 7, 23-25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death 
from continuing in office. But he, notice the contrast, all the priests, the earthly human priests, there were all kinds of them. Why? Because they kept dying. That's what humans do. (laughs) That's, That's one of our weaknesses. We die. And so they kept dying, so there would have to be another one to take their place. And so they were great in number. There were all these different priests all throughout the the period of time in history for Israel. But he, speaking of Jesus, the great high priest, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. The God-man. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him. That uttermost is such a great word. That means completely. It means in every way at all times. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What that, what that tells us, church, what that means for us, is that our salvation is permanent because it's upheld by the permanent priesthood of our Savior. Your, your salvation isn't dependent on you. Just as it, you couldn't save yourself, Your salvation isn't dependent on yourself in that way to to actually attain it, to have it. It's not up to you to keep it. And that is a very freeing reality that we all need to wrap our minds around. The reason we can be eternally secure about our salvation, knowing that if we truly, in all genuineness, come to Christ, and with all of our hearts... We receive Him as our Lord and Savior, and we give Him our whole self. We can be assured that that salvation is secure, anchored forever. Not because of anything you do to keep it, but because it's kept permanent by a permanent priest. Isn't that great news for you today? Man. And it's especially powerful to know because we have a very powerful enemy. We have a very powerful accuser named Satan. Satan is referred to in God's Word, especially in Revelation, as the accuser of God's people. And uh, a clear picture of that is found in Job. Think of you know the book of Job where it, it says uh, multiple times that when the angels presented themselves before God. You know, they, they lined up to give a report of all their activities. Satan was there with them. And Satan starts leveraging all these, these slanderous things and accusations about Job to God. I think most of you know about Job. Uh, what an amazing book. If you haven't read much of Job, read it. It's, it's one of the best books you could read. And so Satan is this, this great accuser where he has access to the throne. He has access to the presence of God. And he uses that access to leverage and and throw all these accusations about us, about you, where he says to God, 
Would you believe them? Look at them. Look what they just did. Look at all the sin. They're still choosing even after your son died for them. Man, they need your judgment. They deserve your wrath. They're, They're pathetic. They're pitiful. They have nothing of value to you. But no matter how great Satan's accusation against us, our Savior's intercession is always greater. Always. And Satan is a great accuser. He's really good at it. He's done it for thousands of years. And he's powerful in his accusation. And guess what? He's right, too. We are pitiful. We are pathetic. We do deserve the wrath and judgment of God. We don't deserve His love, His mercy, His grace, His favor. We don't deserve standing before Him in righteousness. But before that answer could be given to Satan from God the Father, yeah, you're right. Before that could ever happen, and it never would, and it never will, but but before that would ever come out of His lips what we can be sure would be heard, and what is heard, and what is said over every accusation the enemy leverages, is Jesus Christ, our great Savior and our great High Priest, saying, none of what you say has any merit here because My blood covers them. And all their merit is underneath My merit. They are righteous because of my righteousness which covers them. They stand before the Father through my standing. And our great high priest gives great, great, constant intercession for us that silences all of Satan's accusation. Isn't that great? Jesus... I want you to know, is not just a personal Savior. He's also a personal priest. And we need to remember that. Many times I think that we kind of limit Jesus as the Savior, and we we forget to focus on the fact that He is my Savior. And the same applies to His priesthood. He's not just the great high priest. He's your great high priest. So insert your name there, you know, just, just kind of visualize your name underneath his title of, of great high priest. He's, he's Chris's great high priest. And when you do that, when you, when you think of it that way, oh, it should just, your heart should just be burning within you with joy and with gladness and, and gratefulness and praise. And here's something else that's absolutely amazing about about the the priesthood of Christ. This priesthood, this great high priesthood of Jesus, it's actually something that we are called personally to participate in as well. Not only do we benefit from his, His high priestly work personally, but we are personally called to participate in it with Him. Here's what 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says. As you come to Him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the priesthood of every believer that we're talking about here. If you're a believer in Christ, not only do you benefit from the priesthood of Jesus, but you participate in it as well. That we are a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We do that by continually offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's what Romans 12.1 talks about. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies, your whole self, as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him, which is your reasonable or spiritual act of worship. So we, we do that. We, we function as this, this holy priesthood by giving ourselves as a perpetual, constant sacrifice. And we do it by serving others, by ministering to others. And here, here's just here's a beautiful reality that I want to remind you of. The fact that every believer in Christ is, is a priest. The priesthood of every believer. That means that we all have equal access to and standing with God. That means that there's, there's nobody that has like this, this specific or special connection to God that other people don't have. There's nobody that has this extra level of access that, that other people don't or can't. Someone like me doesn't have the inside track with God. You know, this, this higher level of connection that you can't have. That's not so. That's not true. That's a complete lie from the enemy that we need to go through some person, even as Christians, that we go through another person to get to God. We don't have to do that. Somebody that wears a collar doesn't magically gain you special privilege and access with God. You don't have to pray through Mary. She needed a Savior too. Her son was her Savior. So you don't have to go through anything like that. If you're a believer, believer, then you have complete, total, constant access to God. And we all have that together in equal measure. What do we do with that? What do we do with our, our priesthood, the priesthood of every believer? How do we, how do we take that and apply it? And how's that, to, how's that supposed to function? 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 tells us and helps us out with that. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. The Apostle Paul says this, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Tie tie what you, you just heard, petitions, prayers, intercessions, with what we read at the beginning of this message, Hebrews 5-7, where it says that in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions, supplications, and intercessions. Remember that? So you see the the tie-in there? As Jesus lived out and functioned and and ministered as high priest, we as followers of Christ are to do the same thing. You see that? See that? I urge, Paul says, petitions, prayers, intercessions, the work of a priest, be done, be made for everyone by you. For kings and all those who are in authority, 
And my, oh my, oh my, is that needed now, maybe more than ever, (laughs) that we, the church, will pray for those in authority over us, whether we agree or not, whether we like them or not, because if, if, if there's ever a time in history where our civil leaders need our intercession for them, church, it's now. It's now. That's what we're supposed to do for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life, a life free of, of antagonism and animosity, a, a life free of, of anxiety and quarreling, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That's how we're supposed to function in our priesthood. That means that every person, every believer, every person in Christ is a priest under Christ. That's you and that's me. Every believer in Christ is a priest under Christ. And as Jesus intercedes for us, we are to intercede for one another. That's what it means to to live this out. That's how we're supposed to, to function. How we're supposed to minister in our priesthood. So I leave you with this question. Who are you actively interceding for? I'll give you another question. When's the last time you made intercession and thought of you being a Christian as being a priest and actually acted on it? Maybe you've never even heard before that you are a priest, a spiritual priest under Christ, and that you're to be functioning and ministering in that way. Maybe that's the first time you've heard today. Well, then hopefully you have some things to think about. Okay, so if I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to intercede for everyone, man, I need to get busy. And and maybe that's what you need to do. But if you already have been aware of this, then the question is the first question I asked. Who are you actively interceding for? When's the last time you did it? I want to leave you with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the awesome awesome truth and reality that your Son, Jesus, is not just the Savior we need. He is also the great High Priest we need. Thank you for His powerful, permanent work as our great High Priest, where He intercedes for us before you, where He silences the accusation of our enemy. Thank you so much for giving us Your Son, not just as our Savior, but as our priest. And thank You for calling us to participate in that priesthood with Him. We don't deserve that. We're not worthy of that. And yet You have called us to do it, and You've equipped us to be that. Help us, Father, to be faithful to our work, to our responsibility as spiritual, holy priests before You through Your Son, Jesus. Call to our mind and bring to our our hearts specific people, specific names that You want us to intercede for, that need us to intercede for them. And may we all continually make it a, a priority that we intercede for one another, 
but that we also intercede for everyone outside of the body of Christ. That we intercede for our rulers, our leaders, all those who are in authority. That we intercede for the lost. Help us to be people that truly understand and live out what it means to be priests before You. And again, I thank You, most of all, for the gift of the great High Priest, the Lord Jesus. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.